Welcome to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 26, and we've got Simon from Altus Esports and Modem Simulation. For those of you who haven't listened to episode 25, I definitely suggest you go back and check out bigesports.gg forward slash 25 and take a look at the podcast we recorded with Frank from Cyclision and CVR Esports because there's so many comparisons between that and what we talk about today. But with Simon today, we're chatting a lot about motor racing, uh, and it's fit in esports in regards to sim racing and simcade racing. We talk about some issues with the entry barrier being quite high compared to traditional esports, but extremely low compared to sim racing esports, how people getting into the space and how sim racing as a global entity is quite infant, but there's some really interesting governance and structure that's being brought to it that isn't really in place and may never be in place in traditional esports. Simon comes at it from multiple different angles, being a top-level competitive driver himself, being a team owner uh, in Alters Esports, and also doing sales and marketing for Modem Simulation, which is a really interesting racing sim company that not only has the physical simulator properties but also running a lot of the events at traditional motor racing and a lot of what we talk about is how motor racing and sim racing is a supplement to the traditional racing scene it can be seen as a bit of a threat but it's not something that's different in the way that counter-strike is a very different to tennis um, it's something that you know general motor racing people are using to supplement their current driving time but without further ado make sure we get straight into the podcast after a message from our sponsor One of the best things you can do for esports in Australia or abroad is support those companies that support you. What we do here in Australia at Big Esports is we've partnered with PLE Computers. They're a PC retailer that sell all of the best gaming gear. They also make a whole bunch of custom PCs, whether it's a full water-cooled massive rig to play Crisis at full graphics, or whether it's something nice and simple to take to LAN parties, play CSGO, Rocket League, Fortnite, or otherwise. They've got these different solutions for you. What we're doing with PLE is instead of just a general advertising partnership, we're trying to educate audiences and we're trying to grow the local scene. So PLE are working with us on our mentor courses where we're providing discount on both shipping and parts to the people that join in. We've partnered with them on our high school boot camp where we're educating high school students on mental health, physical health and wellness, along with technology integration, understanding how they can take apart and build their own computers and save money on pre-builds. We're also working with them on this podcast, which we're hoping is educating all of you, not only on just talking to cool people and understanding how they think and feel but what their struggles are, how their businesses work and how the back end works. So if you're looking to support a company that supports the scene, make sure you check out PLE at ple.com.au and grab yourself a bargain. Armin, welcome. Thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So I think we'll just get this one straight rolling. We'll get straight into it. So can you let us know a little bit about your background and um, kind of what you've done in the past that makes it relevant up to where you are today? Certainly. So within my my background has been in. I've always really been interested in in sim racing um, as as a main gaming platform. I'm interested in a whole lot of other games as well, which I just do for fun. But in terms of from my pure competitiveness, it's it's always been with racing, dating back since I was a kid to the old Grand Prix games um, that were from Jeff Crammond. That's kind of where it sort of started for me the love love for it all, which is obviously at that time was all single player. But um, as that moved on, and we had Gran Turismo and 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 all these other different platforms sort of started to really kick in. Um, they were the ones that really got me excited. And then, you know, GT Academy, which was the Nissan-funded, uh, I guess, first, you know, part of the esports side of things. So 
you know, being that it was a multiplayer um, type of opportunity to take a, a, a simulated racer to become a real racer. And mm-hmm. certainly for someone in my position who has always been, uh, I, say, I guess, budget poor, I didn't do karting either. Um, you know, it, that was all of a sudden an avenue to actually possibly get into motorsport, albeit a bit of a far reach. But yeah, I've always been fascinated by by simulated racing. Um, and then from then on, it sort of spawned into where we are today with, with certainly where sim racing esports has become. Is, is that the usual progression for someone who's in traditional racing to go from karting to go from basically, I guess, a small car across to something bigger and into the big leagues? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, to, to get into you know, real-world motorsport, um, yeah, you, you go, I guess, the grassroots of real-world motorsport has traditionally been karting. Um, you start in karting all the way to cadet level. You might be like a four or five-year-old and you, you go mm. right through way right through karting and then eventually get into um, real car, uh, bigger cars, um, so like Formula Fords, um, which were the traditional staple, and now there's like Formula Four with um, with cams, and and then you progress into uh, bigger cars, whether they're going to be uh, like saloon cars, uh, touring cars, um, or even you stay in the open wheeler path. It's, motorsport's obviously quite spread in terms of the offering um, mm. of what motorsport is, um, which means we also have our challenges in sim racing for the same reason but um it does mean that you can go down a few different paths to sort of get to where you want to go yeah and as i understand you're kind of a a jack of many trades in the esports industry currently so can you let us know what companies you work with and what your fit is in the market yeah so i i I mean certainly it started with driving and that's where the passion came in um but then from that i've actually become a a team owner uh, and i founded a team called uh, alter c sports which is sponsored by logitech g Mm -hmm. um but also work within um a a company called motum simulation we have our own simulation product so i'm the i'm the sales and marketing manager for that organization um, but we also create our own e-sport events, um, which are sanctioned by the, the national governing body, the Confederation of Australian Motorsport. Yeah, interesting. So I guess I want to touch a little bit more first on um, traditional sport and, and e-sports, especially as we did back in podcast number 25, where we talked a lot about cycling. And I, I want to touch on that before we go into some of the challenges within the industry. So as I understand, there's quite a few crossovers between sim racing and traditional racing. Obviously, you're um, driving a car that's simulated into a track setup. Are you seeing a lot of the crossovers with the drivers as well as the competitors? Are you seeing people coming from traditional racing across to your esports? platform absolutely yeah that's actually becoming arguably more of a of a thing as well um okay certainly depending on the platform um the a, a real racer that's coming into the sim world um will will go with the most realistic platforms that are out there they don't tend to touch um perhaps the sim cades um that are out there um they'll go for the true simulations um and you know which is which is you know again a, a bit of a barrier but certainly you know we actually just recently had Shane van Gisbergen as the supercars champion from 2016 i think it was um he just signed up with team redline um and team redline themselves who are based in in the in europe they've actually got a lot of real world racing drivers in their team um, max verstappen lando norris who both race in formula 1 today mm. um and 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 many more so um yeah there's there's definitely um crossover and certainly in in the iRacing platform that I race with um, I've raced against you know a lot of these guys I've raced against Rubens Barrichello I've raced against a lot of um, really well-known racers who are you know past or or even present 
Yeah, interesting. So is is there still a stigma around it? Obviously, you see the traditional esports, um, a lot of traditional sports fans don't take esports seriously. Do you mm. find that that sounds like you've broken down some of those barriers between sim racing and, and esports sim racing? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely, there's there's both sides with it. Um, there's there's people who have, who look at esports and, and perhaps don't look at it favorably. Um, generally, it's sort of probably probably an older generation that may, may see that because um, mm-hmm. they just don't get it or they don't see why you would watch um, simulated racing as opposed to real world racing but yeah there's certainly I'd say compared to most sports that are out there given that it's a transferable skill you know using the same apparatus being a steering wheel and pedals in order to do your racing um, there's a lot more of a crossover and there's certainly a lot less um, challenges that we have than perhaps say a FIFA or an NBA may have with a controller. And what's the what's the standard progression like from someone who doesn't really know much about sim racing but has the gear and, and the setup ready to go to understanding what the market is and being able to compete in it? Is there a standard pathway of entry? No, and I think that's one of the difficulties that we have because there are so many different titles. Um, and then even within one title, you'll have many, many different categories. There's kind of no real ideal path. And it's sort of the same with real-world motorsport as well, as I, as I mentioned before, mm. where you've got, um, you know, you might be might start off with karting, which is usually, the, that's that's pretty much the staple and has been the staple, whether you're going to go to touring cars eventually or you're going to end up in um, Formula One or you're going to end up in um, GT racing. You pretty much all start at go-karts as like the foundation. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't think sim racing has necessarily the foundation of what, what the actual starting point is. Mm-hmm. Um, each platform's kind of got their own little path on own, own way to do it, and um, it's not terribly centralized, which makes it a little bit difficult. I want to ask, why why is go-karting the entry level? Is it because is it cheaper, easier to get into? The cars are smaller, mm-hmm. I assume they're a bit easier to transport as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're smaller, easier to transport. They're relatively cost-effective, although they can get really, really expensive depending on the levels. But also, mm. you know, in terms of their speed, their appropriate speed, it's good for, you know, kids um, yeah. who can get into it. So, obviously, real-world motorsport's dangerous. So, you know, to, to, to mitigate that risk is really good. So, um, you know, mm. being able to get involved in karting is is a great way to, um, to, to get started in racing. Um, I think what we're seeing now is that sim racing is actually kind of in many ways, taking over that grassroots, like as, as a pathway. Okay. The issue is, you know, what is that actual pathway of sim racing as an esport? Yeah, but you know, we're certainly seeing that the, the racing drivers of today, hence like your Max Verstappen's and Lando Norris's, they're avid sim racers. Whilst they did do karting as well, that you know, they're using sim racing today as more of their training tool rather than they don't go to a karting track. Okay, interesting. And and is that once again cost effectiveness? I assume you know if you're looking at track time, you're looking at extra insurance. You need a pit crew on board. You need all of these extra things that don't necessarily you need in a sim, right? You can just jump on and race whenever you want. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's also convenience. Um, you know, being able to do it from your home. Um, you know, you can you can get really quite elaborate. Um, simulation setups, which can be quite expensive, and certainly for these guys, in form- with Formula One teams, they've um, they've got budget to spare. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, they've got some really really strong sims um, at home, and so therefore they can just jump online. They can um, you know have some really really high quality racing because um, that's a good thing about simulated racing is that there is no budget uh, issue. Um, anybody can jump in, whether you've got just a, a base level um, steering wheel and setup you know unit um, all the way to these these high level units and you can still be competitive so mm. you know rather than um one of the problems with real world motorsport is that it is so budget conscious um you pretty much can't go racing unless you've got money so 
you know, a lot of it ends up being a bit of the haves and haves nots. Um, sim racing is great in that it doesn't have that. So, um, you know, your your pool of drivers is actually more based on talent than it is necessarily about, you know, budget being a, a factor. Yeah, I have heard that old adage of, you know, how do you become a millionaire? It's you be a billionaire and start a racing team. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely that's part of it. Or you 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 become friends with uh, people who are really, really strong commercially. And so like that's how most racing happens. So yeah, it's definitely part of it. So when you're looking at the at the sim racing landscape as a whole, is there all of these different titles within there that are run by different companies as there is in traditional motorsport? So you're talking about everything, I guess, from V8s, you know, V8 supercars to Formula 1 to Mm. Formula Ford and 4, like you were talking about, go-kart racing, etc. Is there there even spread across the whole market? Yeah, they've all got their own individual, and there's certainly one of the problems is that there's no there's no standardised governing body or anything like that yet. Yeah. Um. In fact, only just last week, the FIA, who is the governing body of world motorsport, um, like they they govern Formula One, they govern a lot of racing categories. They actually had their first meeting um around esports. So, um, you know, there's still a long way to go with that. But um, you know, we're sort of seeing the start of of governance being put into place, which I think will, will really aid some standardization and even to, in terms of what platforms we're actually going to use as eSport platforms. Because many are sort of claiming to be eSport titles or they might be eSport ready, um, but when they're not or may, mm. may not be appropriate because of volume as well. So there's, there's certainly challenges that are in place, but the fact that, that we don't have a have a, I guess, a structured approach in mm-hmm. terms of that, that competition platform and with, with all these different platforms and all these different categories, it certainly just really spreads that pool. So, you know, if the, if the pool is is only so big of the pie, um, you know, we're, we're, we're cutting it in so many different slices that, um, you know, we actually don't end up with a, a large volume of people doing just the one key thing, like Battle Royale, for instance. Mm. Um, so it does make things quite challenging um, in sim racing. Yeah, that's that's always been something that's that seemed interesting to me is the fact that there's so many different competitions and so many different things out there. And I guess it's to me that speaks that sim racing is an interesting niche within esports. Being involved in it for a long time myself, been trying to understand, um, you know, the sim racing side. Obviously, mm. the, the V8s. Um, I know a little bit about them, and I've been exposed to them a bit over that time. But there seems to be so many different competitions because also motorsport is such a wide category, right? And mm. when people um, talk to me about esports versus traditional sports. I always use that same analogy of esports is a category, just like motorsport is. But now we've got motorsports. Esports is a category within esports in the fact that tennis isn't the same as AFL and it isn't the same as swimming. Mm. In the same way that you know, if if you're interested in dirt bike trial racing, or you, you're unlikely to be interested in the Paris Dakar, let alone the the super bikes or the V8 supercars or top field drag racing or something like that as well. So there's such a wide category, and mm. I, I want to expand a little bit more on something you said there as well about um, games being an esport and this is a common thing within battle royales you know people say yes they are no they aren't an esport etc what are some of the main things that makes a racing game an esport compared to something casual say like need for speed underground yeah so certainly it is to, to have a competition structure or a competition platform to to work within so in the case of say i mean iRacing is probably the oldest one but it's probably the most established um, obviously, it has its problems as well, which which we can talk to about later. But um, certainly, where it's strong at is that it has a strong rating system. Um, it's also got a strong um, like license system, in order to you can only really um, you know get to say the top levels um, if you're if you're if you've got a certain rating and also if you've got a certain license level. Okay. Um, so having a, having a good competition structure in place 
um, within the game um, is is absolutely critical. And we've actually seen since you know I guess of of iRacing's um, the way that they've put that together. Um, certainly, we've seen now Formula One F one twenty eighteen has got that same sort of system. A set of course has got the same sort of system. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more are coming in with it with a with a I guess a competition structure that can manage your sort of everyday racing. Um, as well as all the way to the, the higher levels of world championships. So th- those mm. are critical elements. Obviously, the other part is it's, it's got to be about the show. So th- having good broadcast tools um, and having good uh, ability to stream other apps and that you can sort of plug into it to, to then enrich that experience for the for the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly having a, having a strong audience is obviously going to be critical to the eSport being successful. So it's the competition and the show. is, um, is Those are really the key ingredients. And drilling down even deeper into it, looking at the game and the mechanics, are there specific things that make a sim racer a sim racer over a more casual game? Um, I, I, I mean, the apparatus is, is, is obviously critical. Um, and, and some games will require... And there's a stigma in, in sim racing where it's, it can be a bit elitist um, mm-hmm. because you've got, say, some platforms like, like iRacing, which will be, um, you know, you, you've got people who have got ten twenty thousand dollars $20,000 sort of simulators um, in order to, to race. And they don't need that, but that's what they may feel that they need to. And it certainly improves immersion and things like that, which is mm-hmm. if you're trying to get a, a full simulation experience, um, you're going to have a better result from from that. Yeah, um, doesn't necessarily translate to better performance though, um, and I think that's one of the things that's often often missed. Whereas, say, uh, like a more of a simcade title, um, which would be like GT Sport or F1 2018, um, those ones you can you can absolutely get away with, and even then you can't even use like a twenty thousand dollars sim on a lot of those. They, they're actually not compatible. So. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's definitely different um, uh, different types of simulators out there, and I think there's a different um, a stigma in terms of what that result may may garner for them. Yeah, and it's interesting you're mentioning about better better products don't necessarily make a better competitor, mm-hmm. and you see that quite a lot in traditional esports. I guess not even just with the marketing where they always say, uh, you know, high DPI mice are pushed so much. But if you do the research, you'll find that, you know, most Counter-Strike players use four to 800 DPI. I actually did write, I literally did write an article on this on Tweaktown to kind of debunk some myths about that. If anyone wants to Google that, who's listening at the moment. And yeah, it seems similar to what you were saying. So what, if, if I want to tomorrow get into a sim racing competition, what sort of dollars am I looking at to set up a full setup? Let's say that I've got absolutely nothing except maybe a monitor, a keyboard, a mouse and a mouse pad. Uh, I mean, most it depending on the title, and and that's where it sort of comes into it. So, like some of the some of the PC based titles, um, you'll you probably will need a pretty beefy computer in order to operate them. So, mm-hmm. most people will have you know like a 1080 Ti graphics card or 1080. You know, you probably don't. You probably can get away with maybe a 1070, but you certainly do need high levels of graphics output. Okay. Um, in terms of most people will have, you can get away with a single screen, but a lot of people do have a triple screen. Um, I actually use a, a 49 inch ultra wide, um, so I just have a single screen, but it is ultra wide, so it's like two two screens. Mm. Um, you can also go down the VR path, so there's a lot of different ways in which you can kind of do it, and there's no right or wrong answer to that question. Um, mm. In terms of, I guess, the the actual apparatus. You can you could easily just get away with um, like a Logitech G29 or G920 um, system. People who have won world championships with those, so there's there's no need for anything more other than to improve immersion. Um, you may get slightly uh, different consistencies 
um, of performance with you know if you're spending thousands of dollars um, on a system so some some people may do that but it's mostly for the immersion it's it's for that feeling of it in your hand to have a really really strong system that if you know if you did uh, hit a wall you might even hurt yourself um, so it's, it's all about trying to get that that immersion level as high as possible yeah it's interesting it's about uh Touching on, like you were saying, once again, drawing some analogies, it's it's about the user experience, immersing immersing yourself in it, um, kind of like you know VR, I guess, is right now is a lot of it is just a proof of concept, but it's about actually getting yourself mm. into the game, feeling like you're really there. Yeah. But uh, I guess even like buying a mechanical keyboard and traditional, you know, gaming, it's going to feel nicer. You might be able to type faster, and might make you half percent better at a game at mm. most. But you can really get away with a Microsoft standard keyboard um, that's got a you know PS2 to USB adapter on it. <laughs> and there's plenty of people in in Counter Strike to play with, that play with things like that. Absolutely. So what's the what's the pricing like? To, obviously, you know we're based in Australia, so let's talk about Australian dollars. If someone was to come to you and they want to play an absolute base level game, um, and they've got absolutely nothing, what what kind of pricing are you looking at? You're looking at two to three thousand dollars for a setup in total. Uh, if you go on PC, probably probably be around that. Um, I mean, the steering wheel system is probably about four hundred dollars um, yep. to get say a Logitech system, um, and then it, then it's really just around the computer. If you went single screen, bare minimum, um, yeah, you're probably looking at a couple thousand dollars to get up and running. Mm. Um, similarly, you can still use that same steering wheel setup uh, whether you buy the nine twenty or the G twenty nine, and you could use it on um, Xbox or PlayStation. So. Um, PlayStation with the with the Gran Turismo platform GT Sport, um, you know you could be up and running doing really high levels of competition with GT Sport for yeah probably were eight hundred dollars nine hundred dollars. Mm. So um you know it's quite low um depending on that, but it, it can it ranges all the way up to as I said probably twenty odd grand um or even higher. So um yeah there's there's a lot of scope in that. Yeah, so talking about, I guess, the market as a whole once again, um, you know, motorsports kind of being a niche in the esports market. Do you see, do you see the sim racing market um, that you're currently sitting in attaching more to the traditional market, attaching more to the esports market, maybe resonating a little bit with both? I think it's definitely res- resonating uh, more with, I guess, more with motorsport. Um, it's trying to attach, and I think the problem is, is that motorsport doesn't necessarily know what to do with it um, because, in some ways, mm. it's considered a threat. Um, I, I know for me personally, I probably get more enjoyment as a watching on television, um, watching sim racing events, than I do actually watching um, real world motorsport. Mm. And I think, therefore, in some ways, it's considered a threat, which is, I think, rightly so. And part of it, I guess, is there's pretty much no downtime, right? If you're sim racing, yeah, yeah there's no downtime. There's, as you said, there's there's many different categories, so you can kind of you know, pick and choose. Yeah. Um, but also, what I find is in, in a lot of real world motorsport, yet you tend to have um, an upper echelon that's that's really really strong and that's because they've got the talent and the money mm-hmm. um, whereas you know you sort of the, the the second half of the field is often driven by money um, so that's how they've gotten into that position and mm-hmm. it's you know it's always been in in the case of motorsport whereas you know you can have a field of 50 cars um, which again is another thing um, you know 50 cars in one race but they're all got there by talent alone um, so mm-hmm. that in itself, is more appealing to me because I know the racing's going to be arguably stronger. Um, what you don't get is the on-track experience, obviously. So, um, and you know, the knowing that that person, you know, is putting them putting their life in danger or in a dangerous situation, and that obviously is sensational, exciting as well. Mm. So, um, they they both have their pros and cons, and I think one of the things is that mo- real-world motorsport 
it's about them understanding that sim racing is not really to be thought of as a competitor, but kind of like another category, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to um, do with with you know, the, the eSport systems or eSport platforms that we're doing with modem simulation is to try to bridge that gap, but also be part of a race weekend. So, um, you know, we're just considered as part of the show. And to me, it really sounds like um, an enhancement rather than even just a diversion in the fact that, um, you know, you can get more practice, you can get more track time, you can create more content for your sponsors without spending money, mm. without putting your driver's life on the line, you know, practicing around a track. They mm. can just do it in a digital format first, train, and then they can do it physically on the track as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, with the work I, I do with Motive Simulation, even though I'm a sim racer and I don't really, I mean, I've been on, on racetracks and particularly with the GT Academy program, I've driven some really, really good cars on racetracks. Um, I'm not a real world, real world driver. However, I train real, real world drivers. Um, I use my, even though it's a transferable skill as we talked about, mm. um, I take what we do on the sim. So when we do our simulator sessions, I actually um, will do a sim session myself, um, have my own laps. Uh, and we actually overlay the data of what my my inputs are versus what the real race drivers' inputs are. And we actually train real world racers on the simulator. And what's the what's the conversion like? If a real world racer comes onto your sim, are they doing similar track times from the first ten laps they go around? Does it take them a few weeks to adjust to the sim environment? It does does vary, and it, and it does vary on the on what simulator they're using. If they were using a very entry level system, it'd be so foreign to them. That it would be very difficult for them to to get to that point. Yeah. Okay. Um, but on the more more realistic that um, and more immersive that experience is, um, then the closer they'll get there. But generally speaking, most sim race, uh, sorry, most real world races do get to um, to a pretty high level because um, it is really really quite similar. I think one of the things that um, that's always the, the difficulty is um, often just that. You know, you don't have the the, the seat of your pants feeling, um, and, and trying to get used to looking at a screen um, that you know when you look around in your head, it's not necessarily the same feeling as looking at the screen. Mm. Uh, VR bridges that gap to some degree, but some some real world races um, can't deal with VR naturally. Uh, you know, people can get nauseous and things like that. Yeah. So um, there's a there's there's everyone's a bit different, but um, you, you certainly do see a lot of real world drivers that can be really ultra competitive in the sim world as well. Yeah, and I find another interesting analogy to to what we were both talking about before about um, sim racing being an addition or something to help prop up traditional racing is the same as most people, like most people who are new to esports that don't understand or brands as well say, well, is this going to kill live events? Why do you go to live events when you can play online? But it's exactly the same as you were saying. It's not the same experience. You don't get the sound of the cars. Um, if you're on the sim the same you don't get the smells the feelings um, and like you said the seat of the pants feeling you can't perfectly emulate that g-force of taking off and being you know your head being pushed back into the seat as you can Mm. you know in a sim and the same with esports when you walk into im in sydney or any of these large global events you've got the lasers going you've got you know five ten twenty thousand people cheering and going crazy and Mm. and clapping you know every single time something happens it's an atmosphere that you get which you can't get online which is why you know the standard for esports as i guess we're seeing now with the sim stuff that you're doing and i'd like you to expand on this is you know online qualifiers with live finals where you've got people physically coming into an event so Mm. can you touch on a little bit about modem simulators what it actually does and then also a bit of your tournament structure that you're working on 
Yeah, so within modem simulation, we have our own simulators. So they're they're like um, uh, motion simulators. So mm-hmm. they're uh, they use full six degrees of freedom, and we use it with VR. Um, that's because most of our most of our real world drivers that we're training um, tend to tend to go better with VR, um, just because it they can look around within the cockpit, and it's a very similar experience. Um, a screen is a, bit, a little bit foreign, so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, within within our simulator, with our simulators, we actually are trying to bridge that gap. So we actually have um, a few different tournament structures that we that we do do. We do run them as live events, um, as for the main event, um, but we do for the for the sim races. Um, we also have online qualifying as well. So um, within last year, we actually ran two events. Um, the first one was at Sydney Motorsport Park. So we actually ran completely alongside the Shannon's Nationals that was running that weekend um, up in Sydney. So um, they even did. A, they were, were part of like a live cross that came through. We had real world um, commentators commentating on the sim race, mm-hmm. um, as well as a as a, as a as a sim racing expert commentator as well. So we're trying. To, it, it was really to try to bridge that gap. Um, and within that, we had our um, twenty online qualifiers that came into the event, um, and then we we basically went through like a we had th- we have three sims, so um, it was like a knockout almost like a tennis tournament if you can sort of imagine that yeah so um you know for the first few rounds uh, the first two out of three went through um the, the, the last person was eliminated got to the point where we went to the final where we had three drivers and the winner took all um and in that case they actually the winner of that um each of those different those two events that we did run um got a, a test day in a formula four car with um with the confederation australian motorsport so mm. um that was again kind of a it's in many ways it's a pilot still for us. We're still trying to um, work out the best structure, and with you know in with that light, um, we we did opt for a few different audiences. So you know that first one being at Sydney Motorsport Park. The second run that we ran was at PAX. So that was with the Red Bull and uh, HP or Omer by HP uh, stand. So we were there doing that. Uh, on the Saturday, mm-hmm. so um, that in itself was a completely different cohort. It's not a motorsport cohort. It's is definitely a gaming cohort, and just to see how people would respond to to that different type of event that was being run um, certainly wasn't on the esports stage or anything like that. It was run at a marquee, but mm. um, it was just to in many ways it was a great way for us to expose what we do to the traditional gaming market and see how they would respond and. You know the the audience attendance was absolutely fantastic um, across that PAX weekend. So um, it was really really exciting um, to see what we what we got out of that, and we're certainly looking forward to um, the future events that we're, we've got coming. Um, starting with this weekend at the Grand Prix, where we've got a like an invitational demo sort mm. of event, um, which will be really exciting. So what is show me uh, or paint me a picture of your average punter? So your average esports person rocks up to the sim. I assume they think they're going to be able to blitz it because they smash their Kia around the hills on the weekend. Um, do they generally spin out, crash into a wall in the first corner? Your general person, yeah, <laughs> a lot of the time. I've having worked with Logitech G on it with um, with them for since 2015 EB Expo. Um, I was actually the G Stig. Um, it was G-stig. Awesome. I had the full suit and everything, so um, basically <laughs> um, I had to look menacing and set a time, and everyone had to try to beat me. And yep. if they did, then they got a, uh, a steering wheel and pedals. Um, but from that, you know, a, a lot of I spent actually a lot of the time even training people um, on just how to how to kind of take corners. You got some people that would just be like a duck to water, mm-hmm. um, and they clearly got experience with it. They might be carters themselves, um, but they can just get up and running really, really quickly. Um, most people though tend to um, 
uh, overdrive and you know uh, go way too fast into corners it's usually just too fast into corners is his problem yeah um and certainly around a place like bathurst or something like that then you it's often just bouncing against walls but um yeah the, the, the average punter um yeah takes it pretty hard and i think it's one of the things about you know, he's trying to find that right balance between realism and accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, I think with a lot of the simcades, they bridge that gap a lot better than, say, uh, something like iRacing, where there's, you can't even turn damage off. Well, actually, they've just introduced that. But, okay. you know, traditionally, you know, you've got full damage, you've got full mechanical issues that you may have, and it's just as a sim, it's it's lifelike. So, um, you know, a lot of the simcades make that a bit of an easier experience and you can put driver aids on so you can kind of ease into it better. Yep. I mean, certainly from where I started um, with racing on the Grand Prix games and in, in Gran Turismo, it was probably more like that than what it is now in the sim, the full sim sort of titles. So yep. I think if you're trying to start, I would recommend getting started in something like a Gran Turismo to begin with and then progress up to, um, you know, one of the simulator, simulation titles if that's what you so desire. And- Commercially, do you think that the Simcades are going to be one of the focuses going forwards? Because to me, it sounds like, you know, one of the best esports titles of forever has been Counter-Strike Global Offensive because it has such a high skill ceiling when you get right up to the top. However, anyone can just get a P90 and run down mid on Dust 2 holding mouse 1, have a bit of fun playing a gun game and start getting eased into the game. But ultimately, they're still playing the same title. And that makes it easy for the new people to come in. It makes it easy for people who don't understand to watch it and to resonate yeah. with it. But it also makes it good to have a professional environment because the skill ceiling is so high so is there you know maybe is there people that are training on simcades that are moving across to sims or do you think that simcade is maybe going to be the kind of the trophy or the golden egg sitting on top of the sim racing esports for for sim racing esports that's what i see as being the future um i think it also has the volume as well, which is where where mm-hmm. we where we struggle at the moment. But yep. even in terms of what they do from a competition aspect, I mean, when I'm talking about the Simcades in particular, I'm talking about mainly F1 2018 with the F1 Esports series, mm-hmm. um, and also the the GT Sport. Um, there's also Forza as well, um, although it's a lot weaker title um, from an esports perspective. It's less esport ready with some of the other things I mentioned earlier. Yep. But certainly F1 and GT are really, really strong. They have a good competition structure in place to do that. Also have the volume, but they also don't diversify too far. So when it comes okay. to um, having, you know, I think one of the problems with some, some titles is they try to be everything for every person. Um, so they're trying to do, you know, a dirt category and a, and a rallycross and a you know every single possible category on the on the sun and each have a world championship but i think one of the problems is it really disperses things rather than saying you are the gran turismo champion um yeah. and you are the f1 champion i think that itself is what we need is to kind of in some ways keep it simple really and keep it more refined and, and tightened um perhaps once we're at a at a larger state then we can perhaps expand that out further but you touched on a good point like uh, th- those sim more, they're more simcades they're, they're definitely i wouldn't say that they're true immersive simulations but having said that to the skill level that you need to be really really fast in f1 and in gt is um no one you know you, you don't just walk into that and, and walk into the monaco world finals um you know you have to be really really good at what you're doing Mm. Um, and even myself, who's been really strong in Gran Turismo in earlier editions, I've jumped into GT Sport recently just to have a bit of a go. And, you know, even though I'm one of the strongest on iRacing, um, I struggle in GT Sport. Um, you know, so it's it, there's definitely... Um, that, that scope from all the way from beginning all the way to the elite, and there's, there's, a, there's a big 
um, big gulf between them. Um, and so, like with Counter Strike, you know, you can jump in and have fun and you know get the volume play, but then you can go all the way to the, the elite competition and have a really really good experience. Mm. And do people often play multiple games within it, or or multiple setups or multiple cars within a game? Like obviously using the GD Sport example that you said, are there people mm. who are racing, um, you know, a twenty four hour race as well as as dirt and competitively? Yeah, uh, in there's there are some, and there's not many professional gamers in in sim racing yet. Um, but certainly, if I use G two as an example, because um, G two got into sim racing uh, probably almost two years ago now, mm-hmm. um, their roster that they've got, them, a lot of those guys are, are more professional, I would say. Um, and same with Williams Esports, so Williams Formula One team, they have an esports division as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Williams Esports has probably gone a little bit more, you know, we're going to have certain people to do a certain certain game. So um, they've kind of geared their squad around um, a particular title. So, you know, you'll do you'll be the GT people, you'll be the iRacing people, you'll be the Forza people. Mm-hmm. Um, G2 being a little bit different, they've got a smaller squad, um, but they do spread across. So um, Project Cars, iRacing, uh, GT Sport um, and, and certainly F1 2018 as well. Mm. So there's, there's, I would say there's definitely some of that going on. I think though it's very, very difficult um, to be at the top of your game in multiple. Um, a, a case in point is um, certainly one of the G2 drivers from last year. Um, they were really, really strong in iRacing and that's traditionally where they've been particularly strong. Mm-hmm. But that diversification for them actually, I think, ultimately hurt them because they they became less elite in iRacing and they never really found their mark in the other titles, not not to the level that you would have expected them to have. Mm. Um, it, it's just really, really difficult. And be, I guess it's like some are being strong in Counter-Strike as well as in Rambo 6. You know, they're all going to have their, their different... Um, uh, niches or different nuances yep. that you need to get used to despite having similar hand-eye coordination that's required in order to be competitive. Mm. So we definitely see that. Yeah, it's really interesting because I guess the only other industry I see that has competitors across multiple games is fighting games because it never really happens in, in traditional PC sports. Mm. You And I guess you, you never see that in traditional sports either, right? Someone might leave um, one football code to go to another. That happens a bit in Australia or they go from one football code in Australia to a different one in the US. But they're, not, they're never playing rugby league and also AFL and or gridiron at the same time. But they're generally going mm. between others. And yeah, you see you know, exactly similar to what you're talking about in the fighting game space. You know, There was one player I used to sponsor um, who used to be one of the best guitar hero players in the world, funnily enough, but it was kind of similar. You know, He played three or four different fighting titles and talking to him about, okay, what's your placing? Mm. He's like, well, this one I'm very strong at. You know, I'm number two in New Zealand, but this one I'm like number six and this one I'm number eight, etc. He has a foundational mm. knowledge and like you said, you know, he's using the same equipment, he's using the arcade stick, he's using the same skills, hand-eye coordination, mm. but there's so many nuances between each game. Yeah. There's no way that you could be the best in Rainbow Six and Counter-Strike at the same time because there's way too many smokes to know, there's too many places to sit, strategies, yeah. keeping up with the meta and the gameplay and things like that too. Yeah, and even I think, you know, if I look at real-world motorsport, there's not a lot of that either. So um, there is some, like, mm. uh, you know, someone who's really ultra-impressive is Shane Van Gisbergen, and ironically it's funny because he also does sim racing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a supercars champion. He's also a Blancpain GT champion in Europe. He's, um, he also does drifting and he's ultra competitive in drifting as well, which is a very different skill um, in a race car. Mm. Um, but yeah, also does sim racing as well. So um, he's someone who he'll drive anything and be, be really good. And there, are, but there's not a lot of people who are who are able to be at the top end um, in what they're doing in, in motorsport either. 
Touching on the global market industry trends, you mentioned Williams F1 getting into esports. There's been so many other traditional racing people getting into esports. Can you give us a quick wrap up around the grounds of what sort of traditional racing teams are getting into esports, what their fit in the market is, and a bit of why they're doing it? Yeah, I think there's um there's a few. So I guess the ones that have been the most successful um, are Williams Esports um, from a they're definitely the most successful from a real world motorsport team mm-hmm. that have that have done it properly. Um, they've also they've engaged uh, like an actual dedicated esports team, esports management. Um, part of it was I guess through, in some ways through like acquisition of of an ac- acquisition of sorts, mm-hmm. but um, they've been really really strong with what they've done and and you know Javier over in in Spain does a, a brilliant job with that team but um others that are that are they have may have their brand out there so for instance zach speed or um particularly in the, a lot of the nascar teams have actually got um they're actually involved in the in the world championship on iRacing as well now okay but a lot of that's more from a branding perspective i don't know if necessarily those teams have actually got much involvement in what's going on mm-hmm. and i think we as uh spectators are looking at that and sort of like going it's a bit odd and in some ways that you know, it doesn't actually help what we're kind of trying to do in, if it's yeah. done in that way. William, the way Williams has done it, in my opinion, is 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 brilliant, and I think they've done a great job. And similarly, how G two kind of got into it as well. Whilst they're not a motorsport team, obviously they're traditionally sports team. So getting involved with that as an as a brand extension um, has been really really good. Um, actually, just overnight, um, Fernando Alonso announced a, a sim racing team before he was aligned with that whole g2 uh, experience and then ended up departing and now he's actually just doing it on his own again so okay. um he's that's an interesting as one as well he's certainly a, a believer in sim racing as an esport um and uh yeah so I, I think there's definitely some some bigger names that are, are coming into it there's a lot of interest um uh, certainly the people that we've spoken to from real world motorsport teams that are keen on getting involved a lot of it's just how um and i think that's generally the motorsport community understanding uh, that just how do we actually get involved what's the best way to get involved mm. um, and that's a bit still an unknown i think partly due to the structure and you know the, the the dispersion that we're seeing and are you finding that your relationship with cams is helping you reach out to these traditional people uh oh, i think not 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 necessarily um i mean the the, the cam- relationship with cams is mainly with modem simulation less less about ultra c sports um mm. you know in in that side of things so um we we support cams and we're we're trying to bring cams to the esports space as a team but mm-hmm. um in many ways it's more as a supplementary action you know with what we're doing with modem simulation so i think um you know, we're sort of from an Alta C Sports perspective, we're sort of sitting tight at the moment um, in terms of getting involved with any other real world motorsport team, and we're still actually quite young. We only sort of founded back in in June 2018, so um, you know we've had a meteoric rise to get to where we are now. But um, we've we also need to consolidate that and and progress forward with our world championship goals. So touching on sponsorship, um, for for those who haven't listened should definitely go back and check out bigesports.gg forward slash 25 which was our last episode with frank from cvr cvr and cycling talking about his cycling racing sponsorship has been not easy but much more open to him where all of the cycling sponsors are used to spending money they understand the space it's really easy comparison for them between cycling because you're actually physically on a bike while it is um, racing people virtually so he's seen a great move over from sponsorship obviously in traditional 
esports, we haven't seen that very fast move over, as we talked about with Ann Matthews from Fnatic talking about a lot of these traditional sports sponsorships and teams have been quite slow and slower than we would have liked or would have even thought to move over. What about in the motor racing category? Are you seeing, you know, oil brands come on, tire brands, etc.? Do they understand the market or is it a bit of a slow adoption? It's slow adoption, I'd say, uh, particularly in Australia. I'd say in, in Europe, um, where sim racing is more mature, mm-hmm. um, we're definitely seeing a lot more of that. Michelin's involved with a racing team, um, also uh, motorsport media organisations like motorsport.com, mm-hmm. uh, the autosport business, they're, they're involved uh, quite heavily. Um, and, you know, even, even you know, certain brands like Porsche and things like that are involved, but it's not to the, not, not a, a particularly high level at the moment. I'd say... The interest is there, as you said. It, it does make it um, uh, a little bit more interesting for for those, it, particularly if they can sort of see the crossover. I think particularly we see um, where we see alignment is where a brand may have um, gotten into tra- traditional esports, but also involved with motorsport. They're kind of, in many ways, the the, the ideal. I guess target if we're looking at say say sponsorship, partly because they kind of get it, um, and also they understand of. Perhaps we're still in our grassroots. You know, I would, you know, sim racing as an esport is um, still got a long way to go, um, even to get anywhere near um, where a lot of the traditional esports are, are currently sitting. So, mm. you know, we're a baby um, in a in a in a big jungle, um, and we've got <laughs> we've got a lot of work to do. But um, you know, I think part of it's getting that structure right. Part of it's trying to to get um, to get the actual esport right. Um, and then also, you know, I mean, having having partners like Logitech, uh, they kind of understand of what we're trying to get to. Um, and, you know, Logitech are, are great as a sponsor because they, they're not, I mean, they sponsor not only us, they sponsor many other teams as well as series and things like that in, in uh, abroad. Mm. Um, but I kind of understand where it's going to go and where, how, how it can get there. So getting involved at the you know, at ground level is, is really, really important and you know, great for them as a business. Mm, and what are what are some of the sticking points that's stopping sim racing from growing where you're sitting currently? Obviously, you've mentioned before um, there's not an easy pathway for people to come in, which which traditional esports does have too. Are there any other major roadblocks that's stopping the growth? No, I would say I would say that's the main one. Um, and in terms of as an esport growing, it's it's viewership. That's probably the biggest thing. Again, through the um, diverse nature of, of of what racing we have, if you look at if you look at say one individual stream or one individual broadcast race, um, you know it could rain. You know, like let's say it's just a standard weekly race, it might only have like a couple of thousand views. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, at, particularly as a sponsor, you might go, "Well, that's that's not actually particularly great." Um, you know, but you know, it's it certainly if you look at say the uh, F1 World Finals that had two point two million. So, you know, there's there are there's varying scales and i think the diversification means that you're not necessarily locked in you know you're not necessarily looking at that one particular event that mm. might be on um and that does make it tough if you looked at sim racing if you consolidate the the plethora of of broadcasts um together and looked at the viewership there it might be a little bit different mm. but um it's certainly the fact that we are so spread um and our communities it's certainly not small but it's it's not massive either um, that does make things uh, quite difficult. 
Yeah, and I guess I would say too that while they're lower viewership, they're much higher spenders per person, right? Like the average the ASP and the sales hat on would be phenomenal compared to some other esports, yeah. right? If you're buying a four hundred dollar Logitech wheel, you're buying a you know six to eight hundred dollar graphics card to go inside your computer and such to come into this. That you know, there's so much difference there compared to someone who's watching Fortnite who yep. can play it not only on the mobile, but on a potato of a PC that doesn't really cost much money to purchase either, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the areas where sim racing, if you're looking at compared to traditional eSport, it's, it's, the barrier is high. Mm. If you look at it's a real-world motorsport, the barrier is super low. So, um, you know, the fact that it's, you know, looking in, in, in many ways is kind of replacing that, that go-kart level, which you'd be spending th- many thousands of dollars per year just to do go-karting, mm. um, to be able to just spend thousand dollars for a playstation and um and a logitech setup and you know you're up and running like and that that you can run as long as you got a playstation a subscription and you know you, you can have a great experience for years um you know that makes mm-hmm. it the barrier really low um if you're looking at emulating the motorsport experience or being part of that that sim racing experience mm. and what's the what's the demographic spread like within sim racing it's generally, uh, it's probably older, I would say, than than what we. I mean, in terms of our, there's, I wouldn't say we have any hard figures really. Um, yep. But uh, the general consensus is that it is older people, or older than um, certainly traditionally sports. So wouldn't necessarily say it's going to be the millennials. Um, they they would be involved, particularly on the SimCade side of things, and mm-hmm. arguably that's where the volume is. Um, but in terms of once you get into sort of the upper echelons of um, s- simulation and ex- and immersion, yep. um, you're probably looking at you know minimum being almost twenty years old, or you might get sort of some some sort of seventeen or eighteen, and they could be aliens. They could be absolutely phenomenal. But um, the general consensus is most people are going to be probably anywhere up to sort of twenty to forty. And what's the what's the lifetime of, of competing in something like sim racing? So the traditional, I guess, esports or even traditional sports thing now is you know you might get five to six years out of someone from you know seventeen maybe up until twenty five or so. Are you seeing? Obviously, you're saying that people are entering the motorsport market at an older age. Part of it is mm. due to be able to afford the setups or, or whatever else. But are you seeing people compete for ten you know ten twenty thirty years? Is that the norm? Yeah, yeah, I think at the moment, um, definitely. I, I don't think we've got that to that point. Perhaps maybe it's a maturity thing, or I think the other part of it is that motor racing or sim racing isn't as reaction based. So I think that in, in many ways would Im- improve the longevity. Mm. Uh, I actually got one of my drivers who's based in Montenegro. He's uh, forty-eight years old. Um, so you know, just with with him as an example, he's ultra competitive today, and he's he's almost fifty. So mm. you know, that's that's something that. As you said, it can't really be said for, for perhaps some of the reaction-based games. But I think in, in sim racing, it, it does make it, it easier in that way. The bits that get really, really tough, I think, um, physically, is the, um, is the long endurance races. Um, you know, I've done a six-hour stint from 2 in the morning until 8.30 in the morning um, at the start of this year. And we ended up winning the race and everything. So it was great. But yep. that was tough. And my knee was destroyed. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> I was okay. sweating like crazy. So um, you get really, really hot in the sim. Um, so there's a lot. There's quite a physical demand actually on your body um, mm. with, with being right and, and ready to go um, and certainly being, I guess, uh, awake and co- conscious enough to, as even the case with real world racing, um, often when you're doing long stints, um, you know, you, you'll just have a lapse of concentration and then you might be, in the fence and, and that could be race over so um you've got to be really really sharp with your concentration so mentally it's a it's a really really strong battle and actually it's that mental side for real world racers that get into sim racing that they love 
Like yeah, as okay. a training tool, that's the best part about it is is that mental side of things and, and developing yep. racecraft. And where do where do people get their news from? Where do people hang out within the sim racing market? A lot of it's uh, within uh, like uh, actually is quite spread to be honest, and it is spread by title. So like GT would be a lot of it's on the PlayStation Network. There's mm-hmm. some Facebook groups, but not too many. Um, there are a lot of Discord channels as well um, across say iRacing. Um, iRacing's got a heavy Facebook focus, I would say, mm-hmm. um, as well as they have a forum. So each each sort of platform has their own kind of space. Um, I wouldn't say there's a central slot in terms of where it all sits mm-hmm. um but yeah um, the playstation network certainly for gt and and facebook i would say for iRacing probably the two biggest ones then you dive deeper and then there's discord channels underneath that and if someone wants to stay in touch i guess with the business side of the market whether they're looking as an investor or a sponsor that wants to get into this space what what's currently happening within the industry that's exciting to you what's coming up in the next six to 12 months that they should really take a look at yeah it, it's 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 the ongoing expansion i guess with with what's going on and it's coming in a different number of different levels that that underlying governance i think is really critical um mm-hmm. so the fact that fia are having their um they've actually established a working group for esports um, over in Europe is 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 brilliant. Um, I actually know that not only is it they've got subject matter experts involved for that, but they've even got all the national governing bodies. For instance, the CAMS, um, they have a representative that's part of that. Same with you know the governing body from South America and and all of those sort okay. of are involved. So it's a world effort, um, which is 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 going to be really really critical. I think to mm. you know pushing that on and actually having that governance. Um, but yeah, certainly other other. Big brands, big names, motorsport community, kind of understanding what it's all about, um, and getting involved more. Um, you know, for instance, as an example, the iRacing prize pool rocketed to three hundred thousand dollars for the year. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, certainly those those prize figures going up significantly um, across Forza Motorsport as well. Um, Gran Turismo themselves just had last year was actually their first proper go at esports, um, and they did a fantastic job. So mm-hmm. the prize winners were awarded at the FIA Gala um, in Paris and and everything. So it was all part just alongside the real world motorsport equivalent. So it's still um, a baby, but you can sort of see the building blocks are coming uh, quite quickly, and it's certainly there's a there's a there's a lot to be excited about um, with where it's going. Mm. Um, I still say it's very much at the ground level, though, um, and it's it's going to take years, I think, still to us to get to a point that we would, you know, rival a lot of the traditional esports. I, will it ever be, you know, a League of Legends? I don't think so, but um, I, I, certainly I think it will be a strong esport moving down the line and have that good synergy with real world motorsport. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of there's a lot of advantages to it as well. Talking about you know from a from a brand perspective and an investor perspective, from the high average spend per person that's getting into it, you've got a slightly older demographic with a more disposable income, and also that structure you're talking about. You know, if, if cams is already available and already you know available to to be utilised for this in Australia, yep. and then now you've got these international bodies looking at it. I guess putting my EGAA hat on from the Esports Games Association Australia, you know, having a governing body for esports as a broad spectrum is highly unlikely and maybe impossible because there are so many IP holders and rights holders that need to agree. You, you know, as a governing body, are you going to be able to tell Riot Games what to do and tell Valve what to do, you know, who are two of the biggest publishers in the space, plus mm. Blizzard Activision? Very unlikely that you're mm. able, going to be able to 
govern them because they're you know private or public company for profit and that's what they're doing but if you've already got that structure set up with cams and with the fia and these people that are looking into that space it sounds like that's going to be a major advantage for motorsport and and moto sim racing going forwards and Mm. yeah some very interesting things we definitely unpacked there too about um it being an addition and being a threat in in one way but in another way really being an addition to this traditional motorsport that you can add that diversification of you know will we see in the future a live an online qualifiers into a literal live go-karting or formula one finals you know Mm. who knows and it's very interesting to learn the differences between the sim racing and also um you know the simcade and the arcade style things because you don't you definitely don't see that in traditional esports this the the full-on sim games you could say that maybe rainbow six is a bit of a simcade because it has a bit more realism to it compared to something like counter-strike but you definitely don't see the hyper realistic games in esports being played mm. uh, on a global scale where you do see the sim racing side of things yeah yeah i would say and that's why i tend to categorize i actually think and that's what i said before i think really more the simcade ones are going to be the ones that really ultimately develop in the future if i look you know down the, down the line, I think it's those yeah. ones that are going to be the really, really strong eSport titles. I I tend to coin my uh, racing as more like virtual motorsport. It has the uh, like an amazing depth of, of information. Um, you know, you're doing the exact same things that you're doing on a real racetrack in terms of setting up your car, going through telemetry data, um, adjusting dampers and suspension and getting them all to be absolutely perfect. Mm. Um, and, as, and one of the greatest things is you can do so much testing. So it puts a heavy load on to do that. But yeah, it's it's much more like virtual motorsport. With um, the Simcade titles, there's a greater greater breadth of, of user base that are, that are doing it. Um, you can still do some of those things, but not, not necessarily to the same degree. And the overall, the actual overall experience in terms of what you see on the outside, is really quite exciting to watch, um, and they, you know they certainly can put on a really really good show to watch as well. So, I think it's that 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 side of things is where I've seen the volume, and I think that's where what's ultimately going to become the future. Um, having said that, I love virtual motorsport as well, um, just mm-hmm. like I'm sure people love, you know, uh, ultra realistic simulation titles like Armor Three and things like that. Mm. Um, but ultimately, they've kind of got their place as well, and so uh, but maybe it's not as an esport. And I guess, you know, we, we talked a little bit before and, and wrapping up now, we talked a bit before about traditional drivers coming across to esports, but we've seen an article, um, you know, that kind of went fairly viral not too long ago where a sim race actually beat a real life driver. Can you touch on that and also touch on some of the advantages that might come from coming from sim racing instead of, say, karting into the traditional environment? Yeah, so um, I mean that that driver Zenzo Benito, um, he races with that team Redline team I mentioned before, which has a lot of real world races as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he's he's a good talent. Um, I've raced against him many many times. But um, even then, I wouldn't even say he's he's the top of the pile. He's certainly one of the best. But um, there's there's many others that are really really good out there. And I think that's the depth of of quality of races that you do see. But um, I think one of the things that you, you do get out of sim racing is, is a lot of it's, you know, building that muscle memory and you're able to just do so much training. If you can be really, really ultimately effective doing that, you know, you can kind of tailor your body to, to do the, the things even better. Like if, you, if, you're, if you're a traditional racer and you are reliant on being able to go out in the track to improve your driving and to train, mm-hmm. um, it's just not cost-effective to do so you're going to get far less track time and far less you know driving time than if you're on the sim where you know some people are driving four or five hours a day so um you know you just it's very hard to compare when you're looking at one versus the other in that way and i think Mm. you know someone like enzo who's 
who's who does have a little bit. He actually did do some karting as well as a kid. Um, to have that exposure um, in in that way, and to be able to sort of replicate what he's done um, on on the real world, I really wasn't surprised at all. Um, he actually beat two professional drivers that that weekend, so um, it was a it was a great effort. And um, yeah, there's there's plenty more to come from sim races in that space. Yeah. So if someone wants to follow you, what you're doing, and the companies you work with online, where can they do so? Uh, so probably best is on uh, on our social media platforms. Uh, our team's Logitech G Alter C Sports. Um, and then from a from a esports series perspective, as well as a simulation product, um, a real world uh, equivalent, I guess, to simulation, it would be with modem simulation, um, and also the events that we run are called virtual sim racing showdowns. So we have a Facebook page for virtual sim racing as well. So um, you can follow us on Facebook. Um, also got websites available as well. But um, yeah, certainly by all means, if you're interested, get in touch. I'm happy to chat. Fantastic. Thanks for coming in today. And uh, thank you to the listeners for listening into the Big Esports Podcast. This has been episode number 26. Uh, make sure you head to bigesports.gg forward slash 26. That's the numbers 26. We can see all the show notes and all of the links to everything that we've talked about today, including various social medias. Simon, mate, thanks for coming in today. It's been a really interesting chat. and I guess it's really opened my eyes to the fact that motor racing in the sim aspect is really an addition and it's the closest thing besides maybe cycling that we've seen to the traditional market yeah no absolutely i think that's what we're seeing as well we're trying to sort of bridge that gap but also not scare the motorsport community as well it's definitely um not to be seen as a threat we want it to be seen as as definitely as an additional component and and something that can enrich and some bring you know even some of the younger demographic to motor racing so, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure having, um, you know, to be here. And, uh, yeah, look forward to perhaps another time. And fantastic. Thanks for coming and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers. 